Welcome to Nonprofit Lowdown. I'm your host, Rhea Wong. Hey, podcast listeners, it's Rhea Wong with you once again with Nonprofit Lowdown. Today is my guest and friend, Mino Nora. Mino is the founder and executive director of the People's Theater Project and in her spare time is also <laughs> a city council candidate for District 11 in the Bronx. That's true. <laughs> a sister, a mom, and a partner, and a sister, daughter, et cetera, et cetera. You're doing yes. all the things. Yes, yes, yes. Doing it all, juggling and balancing it all, but super excited to be here today. Yeah. To You're one of my favorite people. It's just going to be fun. So before we jump into the details of what's happening with you now, tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey. Who is Mino? What brought you to this moment in time? <laughs> oh my goodness. I was born and raised in Dominican Republic in Santo Domingo, and I came to New York on a scholarship to study theater and literature and moved to the city a few years after that, started waiting tables, doing teaching theater to kids across the city and doing theater. And I did a master's in peace studies and conflict transformation because I was trying to find my place, I guess. I've always been an activist. I've been an educator when I was a kid. I always knew I wanted to be a teacher. And then theater was my passion. I still felt like they were living in silos. And this master's program tasked us as a thesis project to create a project that would build a culture of peace. And that's how People's Theater Project was born. I was living in Washington Heights at that time. It's a neighborhood in uptown that is predominantly Dominican. So it definitely very much felt like away from home. And I knew that it would involve the community. I knew that it would involve the Latino, the immigrant community of Upper Manhattan and young people, because these are the things that were already part of my life, part of my identity. And so one of the first things we did was go up to the streets and then talk to neighbors. So we spoke to 200 people with canvas outside and asked them two questions. The first one was, when was the last time you went to the theater? And over 90% said never, or when I was a little kid, or does church count and the nativity play, like really resounding, like it's been a long time. This is the low income community, working class community, and theater can often be exclusive and too expensive. And then the second question we asked was, would you like to be in a play with People's Theater Project? And over 95% of the people said, claro, which means absolutely. And we're like, okay. So that really shifted what the work is. And so we are a theater and social justice organization. We work with the immigrant community to support the movement for social justice, to, you know, to create an anti-racist world. So all of our programs, whether it's our partnerships with 20 different schools, our academy for theater leadership and activism, or our professional company of immigrant artists, it's all people of color telling their stories and claiming their space to build up the power that they have. That's really beautiful. So we know that it is not easy to start a nonprofit. So I'm just wondering, what are some of the biggest lessons learned as you reflect back on over a decade ago when you first started this wild journey? And how did you ever guess you'd be here today? The first thing, and it's still to this day, like really now, even as a candidate for city council, it's about building relationships and engaging with different stakeholders. People's Theater Project exists to where it is today. We're a million dollar organization now. We have a staff of 32. We work with 1,000 kids. It started with me and eight kids at a rec center in the park on 172nd Street. But I knocked on so many doors, restaurants, the local newspaper, schools, community centers, 
religious institutions, social service organizations, like, hi, this is who we are. Of course, elected officials, this is who we are, this is what we're doing, how can we partner? So we built so many partnerships and literally we brought performances there, we brought workshops there, whether it was the public library, the schools. And at the beginning it was just free, right? It was just getting the word out. And being able to build those coalitions and partner, even with institutions that you think may not be a natural fit, we've partnered with the Manhattan District Attorney's Office because they came to see one of our shows around gentrification and the impact on housing and how we were educating the community, working with multi-generational cast of residents in the neighborhood, talking about the issues. We had lawyers present, we had advocates present. They're like, can we do this to engage and educate the community around fraud committed against immigrants? So we had some of our community actors who are in their 70s and some who are in their 30s and we partnered with them. We partnered with the mayor's office of immigrant affairs. So that has been key in bringing PTP to where it is now because we're not in a silo. We absolutely are part of the Upper Manhattan community, part of the Bronx. Half of our kids come from the Bronx, where I live. So that is key in how I work. And it's something that I'm absolutely bringing to running for office. You have yeah. to build coalition. So I'm so glad you said that because I think so often what really holds us back in fundraising in particular is we are so afraid of rejection, but it really just does take knocking on doors yeah. and getting a lot of doors slammed in your face. And then there are just like the few that say yes, yeah. and they just keep building. Absolutely. How many no's did you get before someone said yes about PTP? Oh my goodness. I don't even know. But like, I always took it as it's just not the right fit yet. So yeah. you just have to build it up and be like, it's just, it's actually not right. And, and there were actually some yeses that didn't work. It was taking us too much out of mission. And that's something that we went through. We've gone through two strategic planning processes. We're 12 years old now as an organization because at the beginning we were kind of trying to do too much because I was just nonstop knocking on doors that our voice wasn't being as clear, right, of our identity as an organization. Right. So that's also part of the journey, part of the process. But it is absolutely about having the courage to accept no's and knowing that it's not personal when you just have to keep going and keep yeah, trying. I, yeah. You know. So I was saying something recently, and maybe that's your theater background, but number of offers minus no's equals yeses. So it's just a math problem. It's like you yeah. just have to keep going out. And I feel like a lot of people are hesitant to go out because they don't want those no's. Like they just want all the yeses. Yeah. You want a hundred percent yes. So. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. That makes it like just number of asks minus number of no's equals the yeses. So you need three sponsors, you're reaching out to 20. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's funny you mentioned it because I wonder if your experience as a performer also gives you that courage because we might've talked about this, but I started doing stand-up comedy and there's nothing more terrifying than oh, standing up yes. and telling jokes to a room of people and hearing crickets. But now I feel like I'm bulletproof. I'm like, I can go into any ask. I've done stand-up comedy in downtown Manhattan and downtown Brooklyn and no one's laughed at my jokes. Yes, absolutely. And that's, I mean, improv and comedy. Yeah, that is, I would never be, I'm not that courageous. <laughs> but I do think that my background as an artist and a performer, and I haven't been on stage actual performing in a while, but I'm definitely performing all the time. I transitioned to be a theater director uh, for a long time ago. But that experience of being able to be vulnerable, because that's what you are when you're performing. You're in front of hundreds of people, you're portraying something else, you're extremely vulnerable and extremely present because that's the only way that it's vibrant theater. <laughs> Otherwise it's pretty deadly and not as exciting to watch. And that absolutely, I think is such a skill or experience that I have brought into the nonprofit space that actually also to city council, like I think it's just a life skill that's important. 
Girl, we have to have drinks at some point when all this is done. I did a set in San Francisco and it was, I was telling dirty jokes in front of my parents, my my brothers, my best friend, her parents, and my born again Christian aunt. And I was like, well, this is a nightmare. (laughs) The nightmare is complete. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. That's, <laughs> that's a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. So if you can do that and live, you can do anything. Can do anything. Okay. So I want to go back to something you talked about as far as people telling their own stories. And I think one of the things that I think about a lot, and I'm sure you do as well, is in our communications as we're trying to showcase the work of our nonprofit, how do we like center the stories of the people that we serve, but do it in such a way that is not exploitative? Because I think there's kind of a fine line between telling an authentic story and then exploiting people's stories. So tell me a little bit about how you think about that. I love that question because I think it's so important. And that's something that I am glad to see that as a sector, the nonprofit space has kind of grown in that area. First to say, look, as nonprofits, we exist because the need is there. Government has failed. Society has gaps. And as a nonprofit, we're coming together and joining to meet those needs. And yet it's so important to come into this place. And that's what we've done at PTP, People's Theater Project, we call it PTP, is come in it out of a place of abundance, not out of a space of deficit. Our our young people that we work with and the community we work with is amazing. They're powerful. They're strong. They're resilient and vibrant. And these are, because we work with a lot of immigrants, they've come from somewhere else and are faced with a lot of obstacles and are every day just doing it, learning English, speaking their mind, excelling and struggling together at the same time in school and in their environment and showing up. And that is unbelievably inspiring. So we know as People's Theater Project that we have some skills to share, but more than that, it's about creating space, not only safe spaces, but brave spaces where these specific communities can come together and you know, be in community, be in a space where they are centered and not just pushed aside, not seen as other, not seen as less than, but actually the opposite. In our academy, our first year in the curriculum, it's a six-year, multi-year leadership. And theater is our organizing tool, but it's a leadership and activism arts academy. And year one is all about identity and recognizing the power of your identity and understanding others' identities, how that intersects with yours and Year one is I am, and what are my capabilities, and what are my dreams, and what are my values? So our young people in sixth grade are looking at that. And one thing that I've said before is like, when we started working, I've worked with thousands of kids across the city, and I'm lucky enough that I've done theater with thousands of kids across the city. So imagination is an unbelievable tool and thing that we have to be able to imagine something better, something different. And I always say my job and my biggest joy has been reminding young people that their identity is their superpower. Because so often we've been, as immigrants, as people of color, we've been made to feel systemic racism exists to make us feel that we are not as valued. And that is perpetuated every single day. It's upheld by the fact that there is lack of representation in everywhere. And that had sixth graders be like, when we're talking about what could we be when we grow up? And it's like street vendors or police or criminals. Like literally, they're like, that's what we see, miss. That is what you see. That's not what you can be. 
And it's just really breaking that and then understanding that my accent is beautiful, my skin color is beautiful, where I come from is beautiful. So it's really about self kind of breaking down <laughs> what society has told us. And it's really amazing to see when you're working with a fifth grader or a fourth grader versus a 10th grader when it's more ingrained or adults. We're always breaking down system, but it's really lovely and inspiring. That's why we work with little ones too, because there's less having to break down when you're young. It's just about building up. But when you're older, we do classes on, let's talk about this construct of race and why it so, was created. So I guess what I'm hearing, and I'd love to speak more about just like the tactics of it, is ways in which we are portraying the people that we work with, our clients, in empowering and yeah. powerful ways, as opposed to what we call poverty porn. Yeah. Like, I'm wondering, can you give us some tactics that folks can take away in thinking about, like, am I doing that? Yeah. So one of the things, for example, when we talk about the community that we serve as nonprofits, we either have to have comms around that. And for us, we say we work with a community that is very rich in culture, is very rich in language and experiences, and they are working class. So there's a way to speak about, yes, it is a very low income community, but that doesn't define who you are as a person and as a family. So we look at, we know our families, we know our community, and we focus on speaking about them in that way and the importance of creating spaces where these parts of themselves are valued. Because we know that this is an alternative to just the black and brown or poor or marginalized or like, I do not use those terms. We do not use those terms. It's like the idea of like food deserts versus food apartheid. So mm -hmm. something is imposed on you. It's not my fault that there's a desert. It mm -hmm. exists. So mm -hmm. it's about we are full. We are complete. We are rich. But society has created circumstances so that it's harder for me to be uplifted. So yeah. we as an organization, we see you. And we're meeting those needs and we're connecting you also to the resources. So we have wraparound services on tutoring mm -hmm. and connection to food insecurity and immigration. So we also do that. We're not like that doesn't exist, but it's just like, what is the lens that you're talking about the people that you're serving? We need to be careful, I think, as nonprofits to have a holier than thou, I don't know if that's the right term, but like a white savior complex. Right. Yes. led, pero nonprofits over the years, historically, there's been a lot of that. And I think as a sector, we need to be very clear. And that's why the importance of leaders of color who can be aware of that. But I think it's very important that we're doing that. Yeah, I think you bring up a lot of great points around being both intentional about language and intentional about the lens that we're telling the story through. Because I think it can be so easy to go in the white savior, like, well, look at these like poor brown children that we're saving, as opposed to coming at it from the other way, which is like, what are the stories that we need to tell and share with the world? Yes, exactly. Okay, I want to change tax a little bit because this is a big thing. So you are running for city council. And as far as I know, you don't have previous political experience. Is that right? Besides running a nonprofit? <laughs> I'm uh, running a nonprofit and, <laughs> and the internal politics there. But exactly. tell me, why is it that you have decided to run for city council, which I think is wonderful and so inspiring and really different than anything you've done before? Absolutely. So, as I said, People's Theater Project is theater education and social justice. So, through PTP and through our partnerships that we have, I serve on the Immigrant Leadership Council of New York Immigration Coalition and have been advocating for the rights of immigrant families, of students and English language learners for years at the local, state, federal level. And I've brought students up to Albany 
to some of our young actors and activists to come to Albany to advocate for student funding, to advocate for adult literacy funding. Because I remember Noeli saying to a state senator, like, it's not fair that a lot of the time I have to spend translating for my father, who's the super in this building and working so hard when I want to be focusing on my classes, but I'm also helping my three other siblings. So adult literacy programs that are free for my father will help me too. So hearing that story, making sure that our kids are creating these spaces has been something that I've done for years. And I've been fighting these injustices, whether it's specifically with the immigrant community, but just all of our communities of color were brought in our work and for years. And these injustices, the connection of how it intersects with housing, how it intersects with opportunities, with a workers' rights when you are a person of color, when you are undocumented, keep coming. So when the pandemic hit, I never thought I was going to be running for office. That was not a thing <laughs> that I was in my plan. It's been such a year. And when the pandemic hit last year, like all of us, we transitioned digitally within a week and we called all of our families and connected with them via WhatsApp. A lot of our families are not digitally savvy and we just engage with them. I, and then I turned to action, which is what I do, what I've done my whole life. And we created a fundraiser. I hand-delivered cash to families in need. I connected our undocumented family to additional resources. Summer youth employment was cut from the budget. And I brought together 14 nonprofits and groups. And we recreated a virtual arts camp for 200 kids. You can't do this like our families, but at least we were able to do that. And then through my work with New York Immigration Coalition last summer, I had the opportunity to really advocate to Chuck Schumer, make sure that when the stimulus bill was happening, that immigrant New Yorkers were included. And it was gutted by Republicans. But then the second one, at least mixed status families were able to be included, which they weren't in the first one, which is unbelievable. So seeing this and seeing how like you've seen probably where you are as well in Brooklyn, like the community fridges and all of the way that we as neighbors, as people have shown up in this time, when government has not made me really think my service, how am I serving my community first, off director for the last 12 years? How can I expand that? And it seemed like going into government, we need to get into government to do the systemic changes. I'm so proud of the work that PTP has done and I've been able to do. And I know that this is just a broader district. And District 11 in the Bronx is predominantly working class and people of color majority. And half of us are Latino and a third of us are immigrants. And yet the political power representation here has never had a Latina immigrant Dominican woman ever. And we are That's unbelievable. in the Bronx. Yeah. And when seeing the slate of a, a candidate, I was like, maybe it's time. And I kept remembering then what I tell our students, claim your space. And that's like internalized racial oppression. Many of us deal with as people of color of like, no, you don't belong. Like, you can't be doing this. How can you represent right, right, this? Right, right. And, then, and then you look at the stats, you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> we are the majority. I do belong. I'm a citizen of this country. I've been here for 21 years. So built up the courage and I'm running for office and I got the Working Families Party endorsement. I've gotten labor unions and just it's been an amazing grassroots movement. And here we are. That is very exciting. For me, I just think everything we live through with the Trump administration has really sparked this new activism. Like we can't wait for government to meet our needs. We got to go in there. It's always just very interesting to me to see AOC as an example and everything that she faces not just because of her politics, because of racism and sexism. It's like the vitriol that is aimed at her because of the threat that, frankly, that she represents to people in power and white men in power is really 
interesting and like disappointing, but not surprising to see, I would say. Absolutely. Guess what? It's the way of the future. Get ready. Strap Get ready. I, there was a, somebody said, I forget who it was, but someone was like the only way, talk about like, this was after the insurgency on January 6th and the assault on, on Congress, <laughs> on the Capitol. Someone was like, well, the only way white supremacists can exist is violently because they are not the future. People, white men, this is not the majority. I mean, this is, the United States is not that anymore and will never be that again. And I was like, wow, true. So like, there's no way around it. It makes some people uncomfortable. You've seen now with Trump, what he has risen up and this is the way. And I know AOC is just unbelievable. And so, yeah, the Bronx man showing up. <laughs> I, I love it. Actually, I was listening to a fun podcast. We'll change that in a second, but a fun podcast. And it was this woman who was like a federal prosecutor and like FBI agent. And she has a son and she was like, what do you want to be when he grows up? And he's like, well, what I want to be is girls jobs. And she's like, well, what is that? He's like an FBI agent or a prosecutor. (laughs) (laughs) That was like, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Girls jobs, like Supreme Court judges and politicians, girls jobs. (laughs) All right. So let's talk about Bridging here. So you're running for city council, which is an amazing thing. So much courage, so inspiring. What are the lessons and skills that you're taking from over a decade of being an executive director into this political arena? Yeah. Well, one thing is as executive directors, as Maria, we have to manage a budget in a sector that is known for being underfunded, being struggling, having to be in a kind of a deficit mode. Right now in New York City, <laughs> COVID the whole world, but in the city, we're in a difficult time. Austerity is not a thing I believe in. Every year I've been able to manage a budget and pass a budget that is surplus every single year for the last 12 years. And doing it in a way that is prioritizing our staff and our work. We look at revenue. We look at revenue sources. We don't start at cuts. So this is something that right now, more than ever, every year is important, but knowing how to manage, knowing how to look at a budget, knowing how to understand it and make those choices, those priorities is something is a very clear skill that I will translate because as city council members, you vote in the municipal budget, right? Clearly the budget of New York City is bigger than some countries' budgets, much larger than my nonprofit, but that that tool or that awareness of how to work on one is there. The other thing is engage, which I mentioned a little bit before, is just engaging and working with different stakeholders. As a nonprofit director, I've worked with government, elected officials at every level. We receive funding from the city, from the state, federal almost, we're almost there. NEA, come on, cross your fingers. But from corporations. So we partner and we engage. What do you need? What do we have? How do we work? What can we offer? So coming to a place of community works best and foundation. So, and individuals. So one of the things that is a key part of the job of a council person is building coalitions. We are part of a body, a legislative body. We create, we build laws together that'll be in support of our community and our residents representing district 11, but for all of New York city. And you can't do this as one person. You're putting in a progressive anti-racist legislation, which is what I intend to do, to be putting in and supporting. You need to be building so that there's others who vote on it. And not just from inside City Hall, but outside 
uh, the grassroots, the organizations, the young people. So engaging with these voices, like one thing that I've said that I've been able to put into practice at PTP with the work of centering the voices of those that are impacted is when we're talking about creating legislation for schools and students, I'll be sitting and talking with students to identify what that is. If we're talking about housing and how should we improve what our legislation could support tenants, tenants need to be dictating what that is. This idea and government has done that, which has been so disappointed in it. We haven't legislated greed. We're still like up there and we're like the experts are doing these things, but have you actually spoken to people? Have you spoken to the grassroots? So that's something that through my work with People's Theater Project, I've done, I've built, and will be key skill to be bringing in. And then finally is maybe more so as an artist, but I think as executive directors, we have to be creative. We have to be ready to shift depending what happens. Oh, this year, now that funding's off and now we do this or this program's here or whatever, right? We need to be on our feet and that creativity and innovation more than ever is needed right now in New York City, is needed by elected officials and public servants to be really in the moment, being creative. How do we save our small businesses? What are we going to do? How are we going to prioritize that? Because the easy thing to do is say, well, we're going to make cuts. But what do cuts do? Cuts hurt those that are already suffering. Mm -hmm. We need to be taxing the wealthy (laughs) so that there's more revenue and we're able to pay for the services that are essential because austerity is not going to build us back up as New York City. So yeah, these are some of the things. All right. So you answered this question, but I'd love for you to elaborate a little bit more. In your mind, what is the difference between working for the community and working with the community? Mm -hmm. So working with the community is about being in co- I'll use the term right now for city council in co-governance. And as executive director, we don't make me, me, Nolora, and me as part of an administrative staff, we don't make the decisions without consulting with our families and our students and our partners. Everything is in coalition. So we're working together to find the questions, number one, and the solutions. And how that translates to office is I'm going to be co-governing together with our neighbors and our community centers and our nonprofits here in the district to be able to do that because it's not about being for and one thing it's like we have a people's theater project we started an AOC actually it's called AOC it's an anti-oppressive committee the members are our artistic director there's one of our managers there's a parent there's one of our partners a board member so it's a multi-stakeholder entity to look at what are we doing like, let's look at every area of the organization and see, are we being anti-oppressive in this section? Are we being, and really analyzing it as its own independent body. So how are we creating something similar when it comes to city council, when it comes to be a city council person? This seat isn't about one person and one person having the solutions and making decisions, but about being in community and collaboration with others in order to do that. All right, let me ask one final question. And it's more of a personal question. So, I mean, it's very fitting that we're in March. It's a Women's Month, International Women's Day. Yes. I'm wondering for yourself, you're really doing so much in your life. you know, taking care of this nonprofit. You're taking care of your family. You're now trying to take care of District 11. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I'm wondering, where do you get this energy? Where do you get the inspiration? And like, how do you manage it all? Are you exhausted? It sounds exhausting. <laughs> 
Mira, today is one of those days where I am exhausted. And but I took the morning. I actually got a manicure today for the first time in six weeks, which was great. <laughs> I go for runs and listen to Beyonce <laughs> every so often. Maybe I sometimes I only fit it once a week now. And I watch RuPaul's Track Race in the evening after my things are done. But it's finding those moments that bring me joy, that remind me of myself and parts of myself and the power. And I hug my kids. Right now it's been very busy. But when this is being taped is two weeks before the special election. So right now my days are like 12-hour days. So I haven't been able to sing goodnight very often or sit in meals with my kids. But I make sure to when I have moments and think. I hug them and I just squeeze them in and tell them I love them. And like, those are the things that keep me going. And why? What's the energy that I have? <laughs> Someone, a state senator who recently endorsed me, Gustavo Rivera, said the other day, he's like, if anybody of you have seen Mino in person, not just in a Zoom box, she's like three feet tall, but she's so big in personality. <laughs> and I was I, like, I understand that. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, hey, you, he's also like six, eight. So he's also a giant. But I was like, I'm not three feet tall, but it's true. I am very petite. I'm five feet tall. And I think what it is, is for me, it's about, I believe that I want to create a better world. That's how it started since I was a kid in DR. How do I put un granito de arena, which means like a little grain of sand to just make my community, my neighborhood better. I'm just so unbelievably grateful to have the experience of running for office, just like to be learning about what does this mean? How does it work? Learning and growing so much. I'm proud. It was essential to me as we're building this team and this campaign, that it's something that we're proud of. And it's been full of joy and full of energy and vibrancy because these are the values that I hold as a human being. And I will continue being a human being when I'm a council person and not just like something, right? I don't like politics, but I like serving my community. So I think that's what gets me going every day. I became a citizen five years ago and here I am running for office. It also gives me hope of like, and that is why there's something special about this country, that that can happen. I'm an optimist. I'm a number six. <laughs> I'm an optimist. And I will come to places with that space of yeah. opportunity. Yeah, no, it's a beautiful thing, especially in the last four years. I felt that there was a lot of low moments where it's like, what the hell is happening with this country? But it is yeah. still a country of great possibility. I mean, similarly, like I'm the granddaughter of an immigrant from China. Like who would have guessed that I would be able to like sit, first of all, the internet, crazy. Yes. <laughs> yes. Sitting here in New York City, talking to my friend Mino about running for office and owning my own business. Like we live in a beautiful country. Yeah. Yeah. Let's make sure that there's that opportunity for so many more because we all deserve it. And it's like, that's what like makes me want to do this because we need to make sure that everybody has the opportunity and dignity and ability to live with joy here in the Bronx. Yeah. yeah. Love it. Love it. All right, Mino, thank you so much. It's been so fun talking to you. Good luck to you. I think this will air probably after the election. So I hope you're listening to this while in office. Yes. <laughs> thank you so I, much, Ria. This was awesome. And yeah, thanks for the invitations. Great oh, thank you for sharing. And we will speak with you soon. So thanks, everyone. And we'll see you next time on Nonprofit Lowdown.